Chapter Fifteen of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in October two thousand twenty one. Chapter Fifteen. The first faint glimmerings of dawn found Letty sitting huddled by the eastern window, wrapped in an old blanket, waiting for the day. She had sat there most of the night. Light-headed for want of sleep, she had not slept for two nights now, she was trying to think. The wind that had wailed at her all night like a demon lover had lulled now. Was it by a freakish turn that a norther may take, or was it by a miracle? And so her mind was not battered and bruised now by its noise, by its rushings at the house to overturn it. It had quieted down so that she could think. It would be at her again in a little while, but in the brief interval of stillness she must think things through. But thought was hard. She tried to piece together the happenings of the past few hours. What had she done? What had she done? Dull, leaden misery weighed her down. One act of delirium that must wreck her whole life. A few mad moments out of a lifetime, that must yet ruin the whole. There was no justice anywhere. She hadn't been responsible when you looked at it right. She hadn't been herself. It was the wind, the wind that was to blame. Nobody ought to hold a crazy person responsible for what he did, and the wind had made her crazy. She could see things clearly now, because it wasn't blowing. She must think fast before it started up again, because the wind did things to her brain that wouldn't let her think. The east began to glimmer with the dawn. Only one dawn ago she had thought herself as wretched as life could possibly make her. But how fortunate she had been then compared with now. Then Lige had been with her, good, kind, faithful Lige. Where was Lige now? She pictured him lying laid out like a log, dead drunk because of her unreasonable complaints and pleas. Poor Lige. Her heart surged with rage as she thought of that other man lying there in the room, sodden with sleep. What of the moment when he would wake and she should have to face him? Oh, worse than murderer than he was! Why didn't God strike him dead? Perhaps he had struck him in his sleep. She turned toward the bed where he lay, a long mound under the heaped-up covers, and listened intently. Yes, he was breathing. He could sleep. He would rise to meet the new day with none of the anguish that was hers. But what of her, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? Soon Lige would be coming home. Home. She gave a rasping laugh as the incongruity of the word struck her. He would come back, she knew. Sober and remorseful, he would think of her. He would almost kill his horse riding back to relieve her terrors, 
to tell her he was sorry for the way he had acted. He would be gentle, now that his frenzy of shock and anger was over, kind as he had always been. So kind. Dear Lige. A flood of warm tenderness for him rose within her. For the first time since her marriage she began to appreciate her husband. She had longed for romance, she told herself, but what lover of romance had been more tender, more considerate than Lige? She had dreamed of a cavalier with plumes and sword, a gallant figure, but what knight of legend or of history had battled more bravely against heavy odds, had been more truly chivalrous than Lige had? And always so just, so generous. She looked back on what she had held as grievances against him. She had blamed him for her sufferings, but what had he done but take her from an unbearable situation, make her his wife, give her a home? Just a poor shack, but the best he could afford. But she hadn't made any sort of home for him. She had been selfish, wrapped in her own wrongs, cold, cold, hard to him. She gave a low sob as she thought how much happier she might have made his life if she had been brave and loving. And he had never once complained, until yesterday, when she had driven him mad. She could see now how he must have been tortured in soul all along, where she was too selfish to care. She saw his chiselled, haggard face, his burning eyes, his tall frame shrunken and stooped from his worry and privation, but bearing his load without outcry or complaint. Poor Lige, he'd had so much to bear, and she hadn't helped him at all. She had only loaded him with more. Tears ran down her cheeks, and her heart softened incredibly as the realization of the truth came to her. She loved him, Lige, her husband. Now at last she saw him for the man he was, and loved him as he deserved. She clasped the thought to her soul, as a mother clasps a little newborn baby, so novel, so strange, so precious beyond words. How glad he would be when he came home, and she put her arms about his neck and told him that she loved him. She would kiss him. She had never before, she had always merely suffered his kisses. But now she would make it up to him, now that the wind wasn't blowing and she had a chance to think, she could see the truth. The wind and the sand had hidden the truth from her before. Then, like a sword of ice and fire, remembrance pierced her. She was no longer worthy to be called his wife. What sort of woman was she, in very truth? Her body writhed. How could she tell Lige anything now? How could she tell him the truth? Yet, how could she lie to him? She saw his honest eyes searching hers. She couldn't lie to him. Now, when for the first time she knew what it was to love him, she must slay his love for her. 
if only she could somehow make him understand that it was the wind and not she herself that was responsible but no he couldn't see that and even if he did that would not heal his hurt his shame the more he loved her the more his shame would be now infinite compassion for Lige's suffering swept over her so that for a moment she forgot her own if only she could bear it all herself and spare Lige. He had had so much to stand for her. What would he do when he knew the truth? She started up in panic. Would he kill her? Western men, she knew, had stern codes for the morality of their women. But if he killed her, that would be best. Then she'd be out of it all. But if he shot word Roddy, or were shot by him, her imagination lifted a curtain for her, and she seemed to see a fight to the death between those two, those two men, big and tall and fearless. She glanced to the wall where the guns hung. Maybe she'd better hide them before Lige came home, or where Roddy woke up. But no, she mustn't do that, for Word Roddy had his gun, and it would be murder to take Lige's away from him. Her clairvoyant visioning showed her a scene where one man lay dead with a bullet through his heart. But which one was it? She strained to see, but could not discern the features, for the wind seemed to blow a veil of sand over the face. She saw, in fancy, another man, the murderer, led away by the sheriff, the sheriff who always got his man. If he turned to flee in an effort to escape, the sheriff would spit quickly and then shoot. The dawn glimmered more brightly in the empty sky. Soon sunrise would come. Will you sometimes watch a sunrise on the plains and think of me? Could she ever see a sunrise again, anywhere on God's earth, without her mind being soiled and tortured by the remembrance of him? Oh, if only the sun need never rise at all any more! Day would soon be here. What would it bring? She must make a fire so that Lige would be warm when he came home. She emptied the stove of its dead ashes of last night and clumsily built a fire. She was not used to doing that, for Lige always did it for her. Would he ever do it for her again? At last, when the flame cracked and leaped, and the round-bellied stove began to glow, she turned about. The man had risen and was sitting in the chair by the window, staring fixedly at her. His black hair was rumpled, his face was swollen with the heaviness of his sleep. Self-loathing looked at her out of his bloodshot eyes. Cold hatred possessed her for a moment, so that she had a mad, blinding vision of how one could commit murder, and then she felt sick, in body as well as in spirit. Her heart beat to suffocation, her limbs trembled violently. They stared at each other like two guilty souls meeting in hell. Silence like crossed swords clashed between them. 
Letty felt that she could lift the weight of the world more easily than she could speak a word to this man. At last he spoke, with sardonic attempt at jauntiness, as if he thought by ignoring the situation he could wave it away by a word. "'Good morning!' She drew a long, shuddering breath, but said nothing. The room was growing lighter now, as dawn progressed. The furniture cast grotesque shadows on the floor, and the round stove made a circle of light as well as of heat in the room, while it crackled cheerfully, disregardful of the situation as the man. He made another attempt at conversation. We better have a little snack and make our getaway before long. Oh, the callous, unfeeling heart of him! This stung her to speech. And you can think that I'm going away with you? Genuine surprise widened his eyes. Sure. Why not? She turned on him with a look of loathing, but she spoke no word in answer. What else can you do, now? he demanded. She flung her head back. I'd make my bed with the coyotes and the rattlesnakes before I'd go away with you. So? He nodded slightly, in meditative way, as he tried to puzzle out her feelings. She could not endure the look in those dark, bloodshot eyes, so she turned to the window and gazed out. Outside, the light was clear enough now to show the freakish effects of the storm. Sand lay in billows, wind waved along the plains. Some spaces were swept bare as a floor, while in others were long, irregular mounds where there had been some slight obstruction to catch the sand and form a nucleus for a drift. The windbreak, built to form a slight shelter for Lige's cattle, when he had any cattle, had caught the full force of the drive, and there sand lay piled against it in a deep drift, like snow in a northern gale. She turned round again to hear what the man was saying to her. But I'd think to go away with me would be the best way out. No? No! He chose his words cautiously, as a man picks his steps when he is walking in a bed of prickly pear. You mean, you hold it against me? On account of last night? You mean, you can't forgive me? Her tortured eyes met his. Can you ever forgive yourself? His shoulders heaved and he spoke harshly, with a harshness that might have been against himself, not her. No, but I'll make it up to you. How could you, ever? Well, he thrust at her in self-defense, while the look of self-loathing in his eyes belied his words. You can't throw the whole blame on me. Weren't you willing? She shuddered, and beat her clenched hands together impotently. I wasn't. God in heaven knows I wasn't. It wasn't me. 
It was the wind that drove me crazy. You'll not be likely to make your husband see it that way, huh? He jeered. Her shoulders sagged, her whole defiant pride seemed to collapse. No, I know that, she said with dull misery. It ain't safe to leave you here, he argued. No telling what he may take it in his head to do when he finds out the facts. I know that, she said. And he'll sure find out. Oh, yes, I'll tell him. Memory flashed her a picture of sourdough polishing his gun as he sang softly, afterward Roddy's last visit to the ranch. If you come monkeying with my Lula gal, I tell you what I'll do. I'll shoot you up with my forty-four and carve you through and through. Why, Sourdough himself would follow the man down and shoot him as he would a rattlesnake, would grind him under his heel as he would a vingaroon, a whip-tailed scorpion. What train of tragedies had she not started? But not she, the wind, the devil wind, that could take so many forms to torment and to madden her. But Roddy tried another tack. When we get to Fort Worth, if you want it that way, I'll buy you a ticket to Virginia and start you home. Wild hope leaped up in her eyes for an instant, and then despair came again. I couldn't go back home to Virginia now. He smiled sardonically. So you figure out that I've queered the whole world for you, huh? Yes came in a broken cry. He gnawed at his moustache in silence, a deep frown denting his forehead. At last he rose leisurely, stretched his tall frame and stood looking down at her for a moment, as if measuring forces with her, as if asking himself could it be possible that the will of that slight creature could hold against his own. She looked at him, speechless. How tall he was! He had reached his decision, made up his mind, and now announced his plan casually. I'm not going to leave you here. Your baby face would spill the truth to your husband, and he'd take a shotgun to us both. He ought to! He smiled indulgently as at a foolish child. Well, I'd something rather not kill him unless I'm obliged to. And I don't care to stop breathing myself just yet. So the only way out is to pack up and vamoose before he comes. So, get ready. She only looked her contempt at him. And this was the man that had haunted her dreams for almost a year. Had he been like this all along, and she too ignorant, too blind to see? Or had he crumbled to pieces overnight? The veins of his temple swelled and throbbed as he stared at her. So you think you're not coming? He said with a derisive laugh. I'm not coming, she answered inflexibly. A dark flush mottled his face, making it almost purple, 
and his hands clenched. "'You are coming, I tell you, if I have to throw you over my saddle like a sack of meal.' "'Then you'd have a sack of meal that way, but you wouldn't have me.' Her scorn was like the lash of a whip across his livid face. He strode forward and seized her wrist like a vice. "'You're coming by God. I'll show you.' Mad terror of him clutched her again, such terror as she had known last night, before despair had come. She wrenched from his grasp, and without thinking what she did, she snatched a gun from the wall. He gave a jeering laugh. "'Oh, so you think you'll shoot me, eh?' "'Yes, I will.' Her hands trembled so that she thought the rifle would surely clatter to the floor. She had never held a gun in her hands before. "'I know you,' he scoffed. "'You wouldn't hurt a horned toad, and you couldn't if you wanted to.' He advanced closer. "'Stop your damned foolishness and get ready to come on with me.' I'm not going to have a double killing here because you've got no brains. And I'm not going to leave you here by yourself to be shot. He spoke between clenched teeth, his eyes savage. Palsied by terror, she reeled backward to escape him. In an instant, his hand seized her arm to take away the rifle. Scarcely knowing what she did, she blindly pulled the trigger. A sharp crack followed, and a puff of smoke. His hand released her to clutch at his breast. A look of astonishment came over his face. He grasped the edge of the table for support a moment, and then lurched heavily to the floor, his fall jarring the flimsy house and making the dishes bounce and rattle on the kitchen table. Her astonishment was as complete as his own. She stared at him while the gun clattered to the floor, and she saw, for the first time, that it was the target rifle he had brought her for a present and which she had never touched before. Letty stared in a daze at the man lying there, her first impression being that he was so tall. It did not seem possible that she had shot him, but she must have. Was he badly hurt? She bent over him to listen to his breathing. It was fainter and fainter with each gasp, and each exhalation brought a trickle of blood from his breast. His dark eyes still stared up at her, unbelievingly, till, in a few moments, they were covered by a light film. One hand twitched, then was still. The eyelids gradually closed, all except for a narrow slit through which the dark eyes seemed to stare at her, incredulous, accusing. She touched his wrist and found no pulse there. She laid her hand over his heart to feel no slightest flutter of motion. But of course it would begin again. It couldn't be possible that he was dead. One couldn't be alive one minute, so full of life, and then dead right after. Life didn't work that way. He was only asleep, as he had been through the night. 
he would wake soon he would wake and be very angry that she had shot him but he must get up soon before lige came lige wouldn't like to find him here like this she crouched on the floor beside him waiting for him to rouse the lids would lift slowly the moustache would twitch a canny smile would come over the lips and the man would be all awake in an instant that is the way it would come but he lay inert she put a hand on his forehead and found it chill but her hand was cold too so that didn't mean anything then she began to realize slowly so that her reason might not topple the man was dead she had killed him she who had never hurt any living thing before who could not have harmed a mouse caught in a trap she gave a low scream and then she clapped her hand over her mouth she mustn't lose control of herself lest she go to pieces she must keep her head so she could think what to do soon lige would come riding over the prairies and what could she say to him soon the sheriff would come and put handcuffs on her to lead her away to prison it wouldn't be any use to try to run for the sheriff always got his man but if only she could hide the body somewhere then the sheriff wouldn't know about it no one would know for who would come to look for the man here they wouldn't know he was dead and they'd think he had gone back to fort worth if they asked her she would tell them he had gone back to fort worth that was the idea she must hide the body but where she looked wildly round the shack to find no hint of aid she thought of the old negro folk song that mammy used to sing i run to the rock for to hide my face the rock cried out no hiding place no hiding place here the lines beat in her brain she sprang up to flee she would run away before the sheriff started after her she couldn't stay here in this room anyhow with the murdered man lying there accusing her with his quiet face his still hands but where could she escape to she looked out through the window to the prairies freaked with their goblin patterns of sand in windrows and hollows and little mounds one couldn't hide there where there were no trees no clumps of bushes no fence corners to conceal one anyone could see so clearly here for such incredible distances that the sheriff would find her so easily then her eyes lighted on the windbreak almost at the house where the sand had piled in a huge drift lige's words flashed into her mind you could bury a steer there if so be you had a steer left to bury why that was the solution why hadn't she thought of it before she would bury the dead men there in the deep sand and then nobody need know what had happened not the sheriff not even lige 
and then Lige needn't be hurt by knowing the truth. But she must manage it fast, for Lige might come riding over the plains any time now. She flung open the door and measured the distance with her eyes. Just a little way. Surely she could drag the body that far, like a sack of meal. She clutched the dead man by the armpits and began to drag him toward the door. He was heavy, and the task was hard. Could she make it? Terror gave her supernormal strength, and she struggled on. Farther, a little farther at a time. She panted and heaved, and cold sweat ran down her body, but she would not give up. Lige and the sheriff might be coming any time now. With prodigious effort she got him out through the doorway, and slowly, slowly, inch by inch, she dragged him to the windbreak. His body made a long path in the sand, as if a huge serpent had drawn its length across it. She fell face forward on the sand to rest and get her breath for a moment, but fear soon goaded her up. She must finish before Lige came, so that he needn't ever know. She ran to get the kitchen shovel to use as a spade. She tried to dig out a grave in the sand, but the treacherous stuff mocked her efforts, sliding back almost as fast as she shoveled it away. She had always known that the sand hated her, just like the wind did. The sand was the tool of the wind, its weapon with which it tried to break her. But she would outwit it. She must. At last, with frantic efforts, she had a place made. She dropped a shovel for terror, for a song came to her ears. From what time or space? From what other world than this? Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie! where the wild coyotes will howl over me in a narrow grave just six by three. Oh, bury me not on the lone prairie. No, no, she told herself wildly. It was not the corpse singing. But they buried him there on the lone prairie, where the buzzards wait and the winds blow free, in a narrow grave just six by three. They buried him there on the lone prairie. She must hurry, hurry, and get the body buried, lest the corpse begin to sing. She dragged the body into its place and composed it decently with her shaking hands. She crossed the hands over the breast, for a corpse must always have it so. She pressed the eyelids down over the slit in the eyes. The sand mustn't get into those dead eyes. He was so tall. Then she began to cover him over with the sand that slipped through her fingers that slid off the shovel with devilish trickiness. But she outwitted it. She kept on until she had it heaped in place. There. The sand was in a long, smooth mound now, she had made it so that it looked like the work of the wind. Well, wasn't it the work of the wind? At last she was satisfied and rose to go. 
she gave a final glance at her achievement the mound was high and fairly smooth and it covered the body so that nothing was visible who looking at it would suspect that a murdered man lay buried there lige wouldn't guess nor even the sheriff everything was all right she turned to face the east the sun had half risen above the horizon and shone like a golden wheel whose spokes shot outward and upward glancing glittering opal rainbow lights lit the sky where clouds were softly piled rose and amber and purple the prairie was a vast expanse of soft gray with golden light suffused over it the sand giving back the glory of the heavens transfixed she watched the sunrise across the mound and thought of the man who lay at her feet soon the intense cold recalled her to herself and drove her into the house she must get in and keep the fire going because lige would be so cold when he came in almost frozen from his long ride he would come as fast as he could once he was sober and able to think again he'd probably borrow a fresh horse from one of the boys because his was almost foundered she could vision him riding across the prairie outlined against the morning sky spurring his horse so that he might get to her quickly to keep her from being scared to keep her from being scared how could she meet him when he came he would put his arms around her and tell her he knew how the wind had deviled her out of her senses and he didn't hold it against her he would call her pobrecita but no that word was soiled now because the other man had used it was there anything in her life that could ever be clean again or had word roddy soiled everything she made up the fire again and warmed her half-frozen body before it she must start breakfast before lige came because he'd be hungry as well as cold and anyway when your hands were busy you didn't have to think you could forget for a moment maybe could she ever forget till the grave closed her in even when she was buried deep in her grave would she see dead eyes staring at her from half-shut lids hear the wind wail to her like a demon lover she glanced out of the window at the long mound of sand by the windbreak it was just as she had left it she would sit by the fire a little while before she began her morning's work strange how tired it made you not to sleep for two nights it made your head ring queerly too as if the wind were blowing inside it it made it fidgety as if sand was seeping into your brain but the wind was quiet now what was it they said out here in texas never mind the weather so the wind don't blow the wind had never been so still before had it blown so hard during the night that it had blown itself all off the earth for good and all lost itself somewhere between the other worlds were there other women there for it to torture and drive mad 
it wouldn't be happy if there weren't. But if it had gone away for good, she could be herself again. But no, the windows rattled, ever so slightly, as if by some faint gust. It was like the wind to fool her. It was chuckling to itself now, somewhere in hiding, to think how it had fooled her. Well, after all, it was more natural to hear a little wind blowing. Nothing to be scared about in the least. She glanced out of the window to see if she could tell whether the wind was from the north or not. Surely there wouldn't be another norther again so soon. No, it wasn't a norther coming again, for the wind was blowing more from the east. She could tell by the little puffs of sand that were drifting toward the west. She gave a sigh of immense relief. No norther again now. Then she started apprehensively. A light veil of sand was lifting from above the mound against a windbreak. But it was only a little wind, and there was nothing to be afraid of. Nothing at all. Besides, hadn't the wind done its worst to her already? Could anything but the wind have made her commit murder? There, Word Roddy was lying under that mound of sand, a mound not quite so high and rounded as it had been a little while before, because he had put the fear of the wind in her soul that day, long ago, on the train. The wind had been listening and had punished him for his blasphemy. Those scornful lips, those mocking eyes, would never jeer at her again, at her or at the wind. If those eyelids lifted there in the darkness, the shroud of sand would cover them. The wind was growing higher now and rattled the windows louder. She shivered as she listened. The wind made her remember everything. Her mind went on searching out the line by which events happened. It was all so clear now. It was the work of the diabolic wind. She was lost and undone because the wind had driven Word Roddy to the house last night. He had come because he had known Lige wasn't there. Lige wasn't there because he had been in a rage with her that made him get drunk so he couldn't be with her when she needed him. She had tormented him with her appeals because the wind had driven her crazy. But she wouldn't have been so easily upset all along if it hadn't been that Word Roddy had put the fear of the wind on her like a curse before ever she met Lige or came to the ranch. It was all so plain. She looked out of the window and stared with fright at the mound. Surely she wasn't seeing right. That spot there, that white spot, couldn't be Word Roddy's crossed hands showing. Another puff of wind lifted another veil of sand, as if to convince her. Yes, yes! What could she do? Should she go out and cover the dead hands up again? But no, for then the wind would get at her again. Perhaps it hadn't done its worst to her after all. 
maybe it was tempting her to come out so that it might have her in its power but she wouldn't go if she waited another gust of wind would blow the sand back over the hands and cover the mounded form more securely those hands couldn't move anyhow they were dead just as she had left them they couldn't hurt her but the wind was different nobody could kill the wind she stood by the window her face pressed against a pane her hands clenched her eyes fixed on that mound slowly grain by grain the sand was shifting from the treacherous mound the wind had come from the east so that the windbreak couldn't shelter the sand any more soon the face was uncovered the face so quiet and stern she gazed at it stiff with horror the eyelids were weighed down with sand the sand was in the black moustache but the face showed plainly the dead face she started she must run out and cover up that face again from the gaze of the sun from her own sight but no the wind's gaze was more to be feared than a dead man's face this was but the trick of the wind to get her out from her shelter so that it might wreak its wrath on her might have her utterly at its mercy when the wind saw that it was useless to try her that she would not come out it would grow tired and go away and the sand would creep back over the dead face the wind saw her there at the window watching and that reminded it of her she would move away and then it would forget her that was the thing to do the wind was angry that she had read its thoughts so clearly for it had risen to a gale now and shouted round the house it called to her to come out if she dared it defied her challenged her mocked her but she smiled because she was sitting in a corner with her face turned away from the window she wouldn't let the crafty wind see her at all and it would think she had gone away that the house was empty it would think that she had gone with lige or even that she had left for fort worth with wirt roddy she would be very quiet and wouldn't talk back to it at all she wouldn't even think for the wind knew what your thoughts were so she rinsed her mind of all thoughts all emotions and made it blank and empty as the desert plain the wind roared at her but she didn't answer she sat there in her corner and smiled craftily to think how she was fooling the wind that thought itself so wise still she couldn't keep her mind entirely blank a little thought worried her like a heel fly why didn't light come home when would he be coming home after a while she had to listen to the clamour of the wind because it was so loud she thought of lige as he might be riding home it would torment lige as it had her since it couldn't get at her any more it would batter him try to turn him back 
to keep him from coming to her. But Lige would do his best to come to her. Dear Lige. The thought of him steadied her for a moment, made her forget the ringing in her ears, the shouting in her brain. Perhaps he was coming now. Maybe if she looked out she could see him riding to her across the prairies. She rose and crept stealthily to the window to look out toward the west. But he was not in sight. But perhaps, by some queer chance, he was coming from the other way. So she turned to the window facing east. No, he wasn't there, anywhere on the plains. The wind had taken him. So it hadn't done its worst to her after all, a while ago, when she thought it had. Should she look once at the mound to see that the sand had shifted back safely over it? Just once would she look, to satisfy herself that it was all covered again. She would peer so quickly that the wind couldn't see her. She looked, then gave a wild scream. There was no mound at all by the wind break, only bare ground and the dead body of a man lying there with his hands folded across his breast. A buzzard floated above it. So the wind was determined Lige should know. The wind was even now whispering the truth in his ears, shouting it at him. Why struggle against a forest that was a devil and all-powerful? She had known all along that the wind would get her. Hadn't she even told Word Roddy that? No use to fight any more. She would give up. The wind had risen almost to cyclonic fury now. Again the curtains of sand were rolling up from the plains to the sky, wavering, shifting, their gigantic folds writhing with hideous suggestion. What horrors did those curtains hide? With a laugh that strangled on a scream, the woman sped to the door, flung it open, and rushed out. She fled across the prairies like a leaf blown in a gale, borne along in the force of the wind that was at last to have its way with her. End of chapter 15 End of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough Thanks for listening.